Todd Anderson. How are you, young man? I'm still trying to grow up and be like you, drink my milk, say my prayers. And <laughs> <laughs> I hope to be like you one day. You know, you know, Dr. Claude, uh, I'm, I'm happy to have you this morning, man, because I'm hearing so much powernomics rhetoric from everybody. Everybody wants to use Dr. Claude's ideas in regards to black economic agendas. So why not hear from the man himself this morning? That's, that's my mindset. Well, I, I'm delighted to be here and glad to see you all and be with you all again. And I just thought a few seconds ago, you know, it'll be a year pretty soon since the last time I was with you all, last December. Last oh, mid wow. December. Whole years rolled by since then. Wow. Well, listen, let's get to it, man. Um, and, and Dr. Club, before we start, I just want to ask you, how is everything with you with, you know, these difficult times that people are having? How have you been holding up? Uh, I'm fair to, fair to admit for a poor black man, but I, I've had some health problems. It looks like I'm right on the edge of coming out of them. And I just think just, just just hastening trying to get back to you all again because wonderful people like my friend Charlemagne and to you. And uh, where's my other buddy up there? Where's he, he had to run. He had to run. I wasn't here last time, so. Yeah, all right, okay. And But I'm ready, ready for you all today because... As you indicated, uh, Charlemagne, we were in deep, deep trouble in this country, black folk. And, uh, you know, I, I made a, a commitment to myself a few years ago that I was going to stay out of national politics since I left an ass administration with President Carter. I said, I'm going to stay out of it, stay neutral. And I said, in this, in this upcoming election on November 3, I said, I'm not, I don't have a dog in that fight, so I'm going to stay on right in the center. And I, put a, I kept that commitment all the way up to the present time. But now looking around, I can't keep that commitment any longer. Things are getting so terrible, so confused. Our entire world is undergoing chaotic circumstances. We got a pandemic all around the world. In this country, things are just as crazy, backwards as hell. Nobody's doing anything for that makes any sense. But more importantly, is that my people, black people, just totally, totally in, in absence of any black leadership. Nobody's speaking up for black folk. And, uh, and I, I've told people all my life that when white folk catch catch a cold, black folk gonna catch pneumonia. And that's exactly where we are. Nobody nobody talks about it. I don't get nobody saying well, we're gonna start talking. That we want to eradicate poverty. They should be saying no. Start in a priority with black folk. And I got 38 percent of all the black folk in America that, that are beneath the poverty line. Start with them. 34 percent of all the black kids are beneath the poverty line. Start with them. We started talking about we want justice. Start with black folk again. Black folk have never had any justice over over 460 years, and they, they've stacked us up to federal courts with all the federal judges. As long as I've been around, and as a matter of fact, the first black judge wasn't even appointed in the United States until 1948. Here's here Trump. Trump is stacking the courts again for the next 40 years, putting people into the federal judgeships. Which means that black folk would never, 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 never have a chance to get in, get into a, get justice from that situation. Then and they put the first black into the federal court system. That was about 1948. When I went with President Carter, they, they put one more on us, and we had two people as federal judges. And they, but in the meantime, in the history of the nation, they had appointed almost 1,500 white federal judges. Mm -hmm. Now you have 1,500 white judges, and you have now got only two black ones. One of the first things I did was use my my authority when I went with President Carter. I used my authority to do what had never been done. When I and, and that is, I started appointing black judges, federal judges, 
It was not my responsibility, but I did it when I need. And as a matter of fact, the only way I could do it was because I was I was in charge of what we call the uh, I was the first black ever be in charge of what we call the federal dispo, uh, property disposal program, which means any surplus property was in the government. I had the authority, the sole authority to uh, to give it away. I could give away anything that belonged to the federal government. All I needed was a was a was a serial number on it. They have never had a black for that kind of authority. That was just one of my one of my authorities I had embedded in my position. And so what I did, I, so when uh, Senator Strong Thurmond came to me and said, Dr. Anderson, am I talking too fast for you? No, let's go. Okay. I said, Senator Strong Thurmond came to me and said, Dr. Anderson, uh, I need some, I need, I need this down in South Carolina. I said, what do you need? He said, I need some bulldozers. I need some tractors, some trailers, some trucks, and, uh, and some, uh, some uh, huts, uh, surplus huts from the military to use in South Carolina. I said, fine, I'll give it to you. I had about 45 people on my staff there down in Charleston, South Carolina. I told him, you go out and find all these things for, for Senator Thurman. And I said, but Senator Thurman, remember those though, I'm one of the few blacks in America that would play quid pro quo, which means if I do something for you, you owe me. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't do things for black. Donald do things for nothing, Nelly Willie. He said, what do you want? I said, I need me, I need three, at least three black judges, federal judges. I said, we only had two in, in 460 years. I need three. And he said, well, you tell, give me their names. And so I, I, I said, I want Al C. Hastings of, of, of Florida, Broward County. I need, I want a, a, a Joe Hatchett of Jacksonville, Florida. I want a black judge, federal judge in uh, San Diego. And he would say, you got it. And so I said, now, isn't that funny that after all these years and all these civil rights leaders and all these big leaders for 406 years had appointed not one black federal judge. And I said, I said, hell, I can get, I pointed three by my damn self. Strong Thurman said, I'll give you whatever you want. I got three then. And that was the first time in the history that we got had more than one or two federal judges. And now, but now, now since Trump, uh, Trump has been there, Trump has appointed about over, almost 200 since he's been there. Mm-hmm. Which means you can't get through the court. How are you going to get federal? How are you you marching in the streets talking about, we want justice. How are you going to get justice? And, then, and they said, well, well, how about the Supreme Court? I said, the Supreme Court. I said, why would a black person want to try to get justice in the United States by going through the Supreme Court? You have to be a ranking idiot to do that. There's no hope for you to get through that. The, federal, the, the primary responsibility of the Supreme Court is to maintain racism. They are the guardians of racism in America. That's the most that's the most racist organization in the United States, is the United States Supreme Court. You go there, you, you, you've lost before you walk in the front door. And so, and, and the first, as a matter of fact, as soon as this, the racism and slavery started, first thing they did was set up the United, set up the Supreme Court to make it be the guardian, and, uh, that, and that came out of the Marlboros and Madison decision in 1803. It says now I'm a, we're going to start getting involved in matters pertaining to black folk and slavery. And one of the first thing the rulings they made was the Dred Scott decision and later on in 1857. But but just go back to that in one second. In the Supreme Court, in the United States Supreme Court. They, they, the first 57 judges, the first 57 judges, and they're talking about the Supreme Court right now, today, heroin hearings. First 57 judges were white slave owners. How are you going to put, put the, how are you going to get justice when the first first 57 appointed to the Supreme Court were slave owners? Then the subsequent to that, you had about another 67 or 68 federal judges put on, in, the, in the Supreme Court, and they were white racists. That's why you go up there right now. You got nine people sitting on the Supreme Court. Guess what? Uh, 
up to the present time, the eight of them were whites. And you had and they had one 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 white pretending he was black. And so so now you got you're gonna have nine nine people again on the Supreme Court, and eight of them would be white, and one supposedly be black sitting up there. You can't. Are you gonna raise Kate about? Uh, we want justice. I'm sorry. I mean, no, no, I was gonna say, if you, if you think if Joe Biden wins, do you think he should sack the courts, sack the Supreme Court? Sack the Supreme oh, yeah, Court? that's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to look out to quit pro quo. He's supposed to take care of the people to take care of him. Mm-hmm. That's why I was mentioning about, but my my experience with uh, Strong Thurmond, I told him I don't play that. I, 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 they said, Doctor Elster, you're the only person who says that. I said that's right. I don't belong to the civil rights organization. I don't. Homie, don't play that. I don't do that. <laughs> I don't play this stuff about taking care of everybody. You take care of the people who put you in office. That's the primary purpose of politics. Politics never existed the way it exists now until the 1500s. And it's based on a French word, policy, policy which means take quid pro quo. It decides what who gets what benefits out of life. It's based on a simple premise of something for something. You put you 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 help me, I help you. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. You put me in office, I owe you. And that's why when a person goes into a public office, all these black elected officials, they swear an oath. Mm-hmm. Said I would, I would hereby promise and commit and raise my hand on the Bible, saying that I would protect who those individuals who voted for me and put me in that public office. And I never see anybody holding them to that. Mm-hmm. I don't see anybody. And we got a congressional black caucus, forty-some people. They swore an oath that they would protect black folk. You tell me where have they been all these years? What are they doing? With all this suffering of black folk in this country, all these problems, when, when, as I said, 30-some percent of black adults and black youth own a belief to poverty line. 51 percent of, of all the prisons in the United States are black people that sit up in prison. 51 percent, and out of all of them that's in prison right now, that, that are black, 96 percent are black men. They're an endangered species. 96 percent of black men own about 4 or 5 percent of women. Black women, but they didn't be talking about all these gender issues. It's the black man that's in danger, species. I don't see nobody raising cane about that. You start talking about simple things like unemployment, the unemployment rate right now. It's not what you hear on TV about, well, the black unemployment rate is double that for whites. That's a lie. Black unemployment rate for two years, about three or four years ago, was 38% across the country. That was a national rate unemployment for black folks. 38% in Baltimore, 38% in uh, in in uh, Detroit, forty nine percent in Pittsburgh, fifty two percent in uh, you know in New York for blacks uh, over eighteen. But I I, I got to get off of that. I, that's not what y'all want to hear about today. How, how do you feel, Doctor Claude, about the black people like myself who have been telling you know politicians our votes are quid pro quo. You know, and, and this is what we want in exchange for our votes. That's it. You're right on the money. That's one of the reasons why I love and respect you so much. You want a few got that kind of consciousness and commitment to your own people. That says, you think that you think I'm that sorry. people shouldn't vote if um, at all if they feel like they're not getting what they're asking for? In most elections, I would say yes. But in this particular election, this is a different one coming up now. now I've been telling people that for long. Don't 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 vote for anybody, but uh, unless you're gonna follow the powernomics principles, which says I will support only those who support me. I will support only those businesses that was also willing to commit to help my people and support my people. I'm not giving you my money buying it out of your store if you're not doing anything for black folk. You got a business in the black community, then you better start putting some money into back into the black community. 
and so we're the only people that won't practice quid pro quo. Others will. When Chinese come to down 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 here and put set up stores, black folk go to them. But when black folks go there to to, to, to get something from them, the Chinese says uh, they pretend they can't speak English. And, and they told them on the phone again, we only buy from, we only buy from those people, or for, who are <clears throat> who are not, who are Asians. We buy from all our own people. We deal with our own people. We only hire our own people. We're not going to hire the black folk in a Chinese restaurant. We're not going to do anything for y'all. We do take care of our own. They said, only you black folk. They said, we have a code of conduct. You all don't have a code of conduct. You all spend your money with any and everybody. And, that, and, so, and that's the problem. We spend, 90, we spend 96% of every penny we get in our hands. We spend it with people that are not a member of our group or our race. 96 cents out of every dollar goes immediately to people other than black folk. And we got a $1.3 trillion budget that passes through our hand annually. We don't spend it with our black people. We impose we impose poverty on our own people. By Do you think people are, are more concerned about buying black now and supporting black owned businesses than ever before? I'm sorry, say it again now. Do you think people are more aware about supporting black owned businesses now than they have been before though and buying black? I think that I think so. Yes, I, I do believe that. But unfortunately, the problem is that we don't have enough black businesses to service them. Now, I, I hear a lot of them Dr. Anderson, I'm doing what you're saying. We're going to buy black. I said, you can't buy black yet because we don't have the businesses. Because because and that's what I'm going to talk about this morning with you all. And, and that's what all that's what the Democratic Party and the Republican Party should be focusing on. Quit trying to prepare black folk to look for jobs. Prepare them and give them the resources to start building their own businesses. Once they build their own businesses, then the blacks can buy black and, and t- teach them what the, the proper businesses go into. Then once they build or start those businesses to vertically integrate them all the way up. Called vertical integration, which is a power numbers concept. You start producing, manufacturing, and distributing all with reliance to retailing. In, in, in areas that are key to you, wherever black folk dominate in population and they dominate in spending patterns, those are the businesses you should own and control. Why, why is this election the most dangerous, Dr. Claude? Like, why, why should we be out there voting in this election? Because they, they, they try to scare us every presidential election. Why this one in particular? Because, because right now, the people right, there are people right now getting ready to totally revise and, and tear down the infrastructure in this country and build it in, a, in another manner. And they, that means they're going to ignore, ignore the obligation they already have to black folk. Period. And see, they've never done anything... No political party, no political candidate in my lifetime and all my studies as a historical uh, 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 teacher and educator and a forensic historian, I've never seen one instance where a politician, black, white, pink, yellow, green, or polka dot, has ever said, make a commitment that I would, based on quid pro quo, I would do this for black folk. Mm-hmm. Black folk elect me and put me in office, I would take care of black folk. Never happened. Not even when you had the last black president, uh, Obama, he did absolutely nothing for black folk, which was a total disgrace in my mind. Didn't do anything for black folk. He should have said black folk put me in this office. They, they gave me 96% or 98% of that vote twice. And, I, and I'm not going to do anything for him. But, but I am going to take care, he was saying in his mind, I'm going to take care of Indians. I'm going to take care of, uh, of poor people. I'm going to take care of Hispanics coming to the country, Latinos. I'm going to take care of anybody except black folk. That was a disgrace in my mind. That violated the, his own oath. 
violate his commitment to his own people. Yes, you take care of your people first and foremost. Then what's left over, you take care of other people. You don't, owe, in other words, you don't owe everybody everything just because you get elected to a public office. I ran campaigns for presidents, governors, attorney generals. I was a manager. I didn't participate in the campaigns. I was a campaign manager. I said, I'm, and I'm gonna make sure if you, if you get elected to office, you're gonna take care of black folk. And have either one of have either one of these candidates reached out to you? Any one of their uh, campaigns? Hell yeah, Jared Kushner. <laughs> he's absolutely right, and he's right. And unfortunately, and I was a Democrat all my life. None of them have ever called me. Ironically, it's been the Republicans have been calling me. They've been calling me saying, Dr. Anderson, we have a lot of respect and appreciation for you and the things you've told for black folk, your commitment. Jerry Kushner, he's right. He's been calling for the longest. Kayon West has been calling me about almost every other week. Kanye. Kanye, rather. Kanye. Yeah. And, uh, but but, but uh, I've heard, I have never heard from the Democrats. But what I did now, and that's why I'm coming to this point now, I said, I said that somebody should be doing something for black folk. If everybody keeps screaming black folk at a critical vote, black folk at a critical, critical vote. See, half of that's BS in the first place. And that's like an intellectual masturbation contest would tell black folk how important you are, knowing that black folk are only 13% of the population. Which means that that means that black folk in this country right now outnumber 10 to 1 by, by whites and, and other immigrants. They don't really need black folks' vote. White folk right now can go to the poll and vote for anything they want anytime they want them. But they want to bring drag blacks in to put the burden and obligation on black folk to deliver a candidate or to reject a candidate. That's not black folks' responsibility as a, as a permanent, original minority, the oldest minority in the country. That's not their obligation. Native black Americans. I'm, I'm sorry, say it again. Na- Native black Americans. That's right, Native black Americans. And but, they, but we accept that responsibility. So, yes, we go out there, we have to understand that that our vote must count. And uh, But you asked me another point, and I'm going to hit that, then I'm going to try to go back to what I'm going to tell you all about today. Say it again. You asked me a, a good question. What was it? Oh, I don't Which one of us? <laughs> well, you asked me something that was very important, um, and I didn't get a chance to answer. I think I, I asked you about why this election is the most important to vote for. I think you right. answered it, though. Because I, I don't think I don't think the society as we've always known is going to be in existence when this, when this pandemic ends. They're going to wipe out most of the businesses, they're going to wipe out most of the regulations, the institutions, and everything else. And black folk right now, I had a rule, I said, when, when white folk catch cold, black folk are going to catch pneumonia. And we don't, right now, with the pandemic, we don't have the resources, we don't have any communities. That's why blacks right now, for everyone dies from, from the virus, every white that dies, six blacks die. Six blacks die for every one white from the virus. Because we don't have the resources, we don't have the infrastructure, we don't even have any communities. We don't have not one community in the entire United States. And then those, see, we'd had we were properly equipped, and we'd had communities all over America, like all other people have, like you have the Japan, Japan towns, Korea towns, uh, um, China towns, little Cuba, little Havana, little Italy, little Greek towns, Old Town, Hockey Town, Cork Town, Old Town. We don't have anything. All we got are neighborhoods. And in those neighborhoods, we should have had hospitals, uh, clinics, and resources. We should have had major shopping centers, stores, grocery stores, for food and clothing and supplies and materials. We don't have gas stations. We don't have any of that. Detroit, Michigan, a major black city, got 46 gas stations. Guess what? Now 
tariffs on 47, of the, I mean, 44 of those. We only got two black gas stations in that major city. Mm. In a black city, 92% black city. So we don't uh, have control anything. Dr. Claude, you know what I asked? We were talking about quid pro quo and voting, and you were saying this year in particular, you would tell people, uh, normally you would say to hold your vote and not vote, but this year you're saying something different. This time, this time, never ever in the future again. This is it for us. This is a throwdown for us. I want every black person in America, any of them that are registered and qualified to vote, I want you to vote. I don't care if you ride a tricycle to get there, a bicycle, roller skate, or somebody have to drag you to the poll. You go in and vote this time. You vote your heart out. This is tremendously important. It's because it's symbolic. It's a signal saying we've given our all now for 460 years. We're giving it one more time. But we ain't playing this game anymore. This time we're giving it because what I'm going to propose tonight should make a change of this morning. It should make a change in what's going on in this country. We have to change the social construct in America. The social construct is the United States Constitution that has, that has us blocked and blocked. Nobody has ever addressed the, the, the constitutional impact on us and the guardian of racism, which is in the Constitution. We got two constitutions in the United States. That's the first constitution that was that was approved in 1789. That constitution pro, pre-described and, pro, and, pro, and, and proposed exactly how black folk are to be treated and mistreated in this country. They will be treated as property, as non-citizens, as being impoverished and poor. That's and that's what we, we stayed in that position. Right now, we're in the same position, identical to where we were in 1860 on the end, end of the Civil War. We own less than one half or 1% of anything of value. You got a, po- a population of 13 to 14% black people in this country, and collectively, they own one half or 1% of, an, of anything of a value in the in the richest country and on earth they don't only control anything they don't have any money and wealth they got one half percent so what i would be so and yet and i look at the what the what the democrats are proposing now saying well we've heard anderson we're going to do something for black folk and what the uh, the democrats are saying we're going to do something for black folk i looked at their plans what what plans they made up for black folk both the democrats and republicans and it was a shame so you look you looked, at, you looked at Joe Biden's, looked at Revoice plan and Donald Trump's platinum plan? Yes, about 40 pages. And guess what? It's nothing but a regurgitation of old rules and regulations pertaining to programs that may have been in existence since 1950. There's nothing significant in them, not substantive. doesn't address the issue. The primary issue is to reverse the, what, what was put into the, into the first Constitution and into all these laws that kept black folk poor and impoverished and powerless all these years. And see, see, the first Constitution was a, was a, was an affirmative action plan for whites. The United States Constitution was the first affirmative action plan in this nation, but it was strictly solely for whites. That's why immediately in, in 1790, it says they passed the first immigration and naturalization law. It says anybody coming to this country, it must be white. This is a white nation, or they should be able to pass for whites. And they can get all these benefits, and we're going to deny black folks as slaves. And what, and what the Constitution did is systematically maldistributed 100% of all this nation's land, minerals, resources, uh, businesses, uh, rights, privileges, and controls of all levels of government into the hands of the dominant white society. It has never been reversed. That's what black folks have been focusing on all these years, for 460 years. Forget all this stuff about social justice, about police reform. Go back and correct 
put uh, slavery put systematically put in place has had black folk bound like that. Bound like that. The only time they tried to correct was one time when they put out the second constitution, which was in the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment and the Civil Rights Laws were put out specifically to correct it. That's why it was called 10 years of reconstruction between 1866 and 1876. That was called reconstruction. Reconstruct, which means you've done wrong in the first constitution. Go back and redo it. That's why they had to issue the 12th Amendment, the 13th and the 14th Amendment and the Civil Rights Laws. But here's the problem. They were issued strictly and solely for black folk. Then up comes the person out of the bush, called the Supreme Court, and took and said, oh, all those things that were put out in the, thir- in the during Reconstruction between 1866 and 1876, oh, those things are illegal. And you go, we're going to take you back to slavery again. And that's why, that's why Jim Crow segregation jumped up again and grabbed blacks like this, because the Supreme Court did it. And they said, now, all these things that they put, that they tried to put in place for you all during that 10-year period, they got to be belong to everybody. And anything for everybody is not for anybody. We missed out. And so now we, we have to go back and focus on that. So what I'm saying is that those things that the, that the Democrats have now in their plan and the Republicans have ain't going to do a darn thing for black folk. They're not tangible. They're not things that black folk can put their hands on, hold on to, and use to correct their position. Black folk don't own enough wealth and resources to be able to, to make decisions for themselves. I talked about my five-story building, which I'm sure, Sean, you, you're familiar with that, aren't you? Economics, absolutely. That's right. That, that you got to have a wealth base down here. Wealth, once you get the money on the first floor, you then you sell, sell it, get profits, then you use that money to go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. Black folk keep trying to get in politics by jumping to the second floor without an economic base beneath them, structure. If you don't have an economic base, you have nothing. That's what keeps white folks in control. People like Donald, like uh, Trump, they got over 600, over 600 multi-white billionaires in the country. That's who's, that's who's shaping everything. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to try to correct that by saying we're going to go back and reverse what was in the, in the original Constitution. And that's what we're gonna, what I want these Democrats and, 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 the Republicans, and the Republicans to focus on. Take that plan and revise it. Here's some of the things I want you to put in there strictly and solely for black folk. And one, what I want you to do is understand that you got a social construct that has to be revisited. That's the United States Constitution. Now, please do me a big favor. Remember these points. You got a social construct that dictates everything. And when you hear what you read the Constitution, it's talking about we the people, all the citizens, they're talking about white folk. When they talk about black folk, they got a code in there. They got a code in there that talks that spells out what blacks go forget. Most of our people don't understand the code. And they, they see things where it's like those who are indebted, those who are in bondage, those who are that special pro- kind of property. They're talking about black folk, that they would that they would be excluded, won't be counted in anything. They talk about white folk, they use these very broad, big terms like we the people, all the people got God-given rights to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. They're not talking about blacks because that's why they're going to enslave black folk. That's the part of that, that whole con- construct. So that's now here's what I want you to do. Tell me, you started visiting that, that, that Constitution, started asking the Congress, they started revising some of those things that are negative for black folk. They got black folk saying you can't, and, and it's in this first, in the first Constitution, and they took, they took the second Constitution, which was the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, you no know, civil rights laws, and revised them for everybody. That's why immigrants can come in here and outcompete black folk. Immigrants come in this country, they get five benefits that black folk can't get. They get them. They get black. They give immigrants value by points. That you come in here, you're gonna when you compete with you with black folk, 
black folk will be subordinate to you because you're going to get points over them. The first point you're going to get, we're going to call you immigrants. Immigrants get advantages that black folk can't get, point one. Point two, we're going to let you get, get let you give you an advantage because you speak a foreign language. They don't speak, so they, you they qualify for special privileges and rights because they speak a foreign language. Three, if they come in here, they classified as whites. All immigrants, Asian, Arabs, Hispanics, all those different immigrants come in, they're classified as whites. They, they, they use this very broad term just to snoop at you called people of color. They, but underneath that, they are whites. Hispanics were always classified as whites until 1970. And all these groups of, and, and Arabs are classified as whites. So, so don't they, and, and they get five advantages over. I'm not going to go through all that. They get five advantages over black folk. That's why they can come into the country and go past you at, at 100 miles an hour. Because they're getting advantages that you're not going to get. They get advantage because of their culture. They get advantage because of their language. They get advantage because of their religion. They get all these priorities over you. But so black folk are, are, get hit that, that construct. Point two, this is very important now. I'm going to articulate these. If you want to write down some of these points. Now you, these are called the powernomics points. This is my powernomics plan. I'm giving you the powernomics plan now that all the others wanted, that, that, they, that, they, that the Republicans wanted, and some of the Green Party, the Liberatory Party, they wanted. I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm only going to give these points to black folk. One, I gave you about the social construct. Two, the second thing I want you to do is a demand. The demand. Demand? The, yeah, all these are demands. No marching and begging. And marching is a waste of time. It signifies weakness. You march all the time. Don't get anything. Don't, don't be marching just for celebrating some old something that happened 60 years ago. The second thing I want you to do is demand that there be a permanent office for Native Black Amer- Affairs established in the White House. Again, that they have a special office called the Office for, again, for Native Black Affairs in the United States, which means any issue that goes down, you got a peace person sitting there with, with where the president is that can start dictating what your needs are and what kind of what your resources needs are. That's the second thing. The third thing I want you to be able to demand that 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 right now that, that we have a I have a power numbers plan for setting up jobs in the, in the United States for black folk. I want them to build <clears throat> a, high, a southern high-speed rail system. A, again, build a high-speed rail system in the south that would run from Atlanta, Georgia to Dallas, Texas. And I get now all the plans, all this, this is ready-made, all, all, everything's been worked out. It'll run at 150 miles an hour, take you from Atlanta, Georgia to Dallas, Texas. It stops four places. It stops again, it'll stop in, in Atlanta, it'll stop in Birmingham, Alabama, It'll stop in, 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 in Shreveport, uh, Louisiana, and then Dallas, Texas. That'll run, that'll run, that'll run 150 miles an hour. That's the only place you can build a high-speed rail system in the United States. Obama set up a special program of five, uh, something like about five, uh, I think about five million dollars for infrastructure improvement. Tell them right now that you got a program that's at, for a high-speed rail system in the southern states that's stopping those four black cities. And when you build businesses around those centers where people can travel from one all across the south, that's fast. That's the only place you can have a high-speed rail system. You can't have it on the west coast, too many mountains and valleys and earthquakes. You can't have it on the east coast except the cellar. This is for the black folk because that's a, that's called a southern black belt running from, from, from the east coast to the west coast. That's, why? That's, why? To, to explain why, though. Why is that necessary? Because right now, right now we can we can tr- move people faster. Because right now your airlines are have hell, and most of them might even come back into existence after this pandemic ends. They won't, they won't be able to travel. And right now, it's, it, it, it's for blacks in the south to move around, they got to come north, come up maybe to mid north, then try to go across. 
this will create job opportunities for employment opportunities for black professionals in all respect, for businesses, for transportation-related uh, 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 fares, everything you want. And it gives them strength to those black cities. They're still depressed from Atlanta, Birmingham, Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana, and Texas. Oh, and that'll yeah, give you a whole damn job base to run all the way across the South. That's a, that would create all, but that would create hundreds of thousands of businesses and employment opportunities. Woo! Now, the fourth thing I want you to do is to also tell them to, to now, before they start bringing in more immigrants in this country, tell them that require Congress that Congress do an examination for the negative impact that immigration has on Black folk. Nobody ever makes that point. The only people that's, that, that's damaged and injured by immigrants coming to this country is black folk. The immigrants coming in, they join the white status quo. They don't, they, they, they're, not, they're not competing against this whites, they come in and compete against blacks. They go into the black neighborhoods, they take, they take blacks out of the jobs, out of construction jobs, take them out of the hotels and the businesses. Blacks are displaced. And they say, before we can approve another immigration program, we want to determine what will be the negative impact on black folk. And that, they never do that. They bring in hundreds and hundreds of thousands of immigrants. And then nobody ever checks on that. That devastates blacks. That's why the first thing that Congress did uh, after the Constitution was approved was create a nationalization law, bringing in immigrants. And the, and the next point is this, uh, that I want you to establish a, a special, that start focusing on the reparations for black folk in the country. I want a reparation bills coming out of the Congress. And then and they set up a reparations program for black folk. Now, in the question they keep asking the whites, where is, it to, who's, where is the money going to? It should be set up in what we call, I would call, regional distribution banks, uh, where, where black folk can borrow that money to start businesses in, those, in the major black urban areas in the United States. Every major black city, you should get about five or six of them, should have a, a, a reparations bank there. That would, have, that would be able to provide reparations funds at a 2% interest rate revolving loan and it's subordinatable to any borrowed money from any banks, which makes it impossible for banks to loan money to black folk. And I had, a, I did the same thing when I was with President Carter. I did it in Miami. It's called Miami Capital and Miami Citywide, where I provide, I had a $10 million fund where I could put blacks in the business. I put 57 black business up in Miami. They based on using those funds and had to send those blacks out to start businesses. I started 57 by using those money, that capital. That's what I want now for reparation funds. And, don't be worried about how much money will each black person get. No, I want to put into a special revolve, a revolving loan fund where blacks can borrow that money and be able to start businesses in, in, those, in those urban areas. And are you still with me? Yeah, I got the, the, I got all five things. Social construct that dictates everything. Uh, I mean, that reconstructs everything in the Constitution. Demand that there be a permanent office in the White House for Native Black Affairs. Demand that they build a sovereign high-speed rail system that runs from Atlanta to Dallas, stops in Birmingham and Shreveport. Um, Congress to study the negative impact that immigrants have on black people and establish a reparations bill. And you got it down right, and that bill is and that, and and that when you when you call and check on that on that on that on that high speed rail system, the money's already there. And right now, I got I got people already committed outside the United States that will put up something like four to five billion dollars to build that high speed rail system. All we need from the government is for somebody in the federal level in the office of the president just to approve the project. We can immediately, and we can start. Got, we are shovel ready. Got all the plans, everything all drawn up, and got people now from around the country, out of, out of the country, even from South Korea and China and, and Japan, that will put up most of the capital to build a high speed rail system for blacks, for jobs and business opportunities. That's all set. All I need is for, for somebody in the White House to say, 
It's a good project to create jobs and to help the black Southern poor belt in the South, but creating jobs and business opportunities down there and providing a transportation system where they can park their car in Atlanta, get on that, get on that, on that, on that rail system, and it'll run and, and, and put them in, in Telus in Dallas, Texas, within about a two-hour period. That's as fast as the plane can go. You know, Dr. Claude, um, I was having that conversation about immigrants actually yesterday, and a lot of people would say immigrants take. They don't. They're not taking any jobs from black people because it's jobs black people wouldn't do anyway. What do you What do you say to that? Oh, sure, I, I can understand that. They're right, and that's why we have to recondition black folk. Black folks, I worked. I worked for 460 years. Nobody paid me, gave me anything. What What insurance I got this time? I'm gonna get paid and get some money, and those and, and, pay, and pay them a decent salary to do those jobs. And and but see, nobody's ever rewarded and compensated black folk. Black folk have never gotten any rewards. <clears throat> They worked all those years, 300, 360 years for nothing. And then, and, then, and, then, and the thing about it is the dominant white society is still opposed to it. You know why? They say, well, y'all look for something free. I said, hey, that's what they should be doing, looking for something free. You know why? Because every immigrant came here, and their ancestors that came here, they came here, contrary to what they tell you, but they came here for religious freedom. They didn't come, nobody came here looking for religious freedom. Nobody came all the way across the oceans for happiness. They came here looking to get free benefits. They came here to get all those things that blacks could not get. They wanted to come together and wanted free land and free black labor. And that's what they got. That's called the American dream. Coming to America and free load. Get what you whatever you can get. That's why they come. I understand that. And I'm not but I'm not opposed to black folk getting some things. They're entitled to it. They worked hard. They died. And when they were they were less free of slavery after having worked for 360 years and never having gotten paid, the child man, guess what? White folks said, we'll set you free. In 1860, but I tell you what, we're gonna set you free with no clothes, no no land, no 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 house, no tools, no weapons, no animals, no nothing, no re- education, no religion, no institutions, and yet by the same token, from the from the, from slavery started up until the end in 1860. Guess what? Every immigrant that came to this country was eligible for 650 acres of free land. Then they got another additional 150 acres of free land for every slave they owned. They, they had at that point when slavery ended, they had over five million blacks that were slaves. They got somebody got 150 acres of free land for every one of those blacks. Dang. Plus they got 650. And guess what? And they started off with a with with, with a in, in, in conclusion of it, they picked up over two billion. Charlemagne, they picked up over two billion acres of free land. Didn't pay anything for it. Two billion acres of free land. And all they do is match it up with the, with the free slaves they were getting to do the work. And that's why. <clears throat> That's why George Washington says that the only value in this country, the wealth and power will be, will be in the land. Who owns the land will have the wealth and the power. Whether it's today from New York to San Diego, who's on the land? All the buildings, all the big buildings and, and, and structures and, and everything. Whoever owns that, 99 and 1.5% of it is still owned by whites. But they picked up 2 billion acres of free land and, and across the Mississippi River in 1860. You know what they did? They brought that last land rush here. It had, had, had over 20,000, I mean, 20 million immigrants came from Europe, poured in here to get into the land rush going across the Mississippi River. And in 24 hours, they picked up over 24 million acres of land, free land. That's why when you go out west now, you see those big, large ranches, big, large farms, where they got 20,000 acres of farm. You say, well, look at those big farms and all that land whites own. They didn't pay for that land. They got it free. But they wouldn't give black folk 40 acres. Black folks said, do you think that you're going to give away two billion acres of free land to, to immigrants. 
and we have 40 acres. And they said, no, you all can't, you all can't have anything. What about, black, what about black immigrants? Were they eligible to get that land? When? Back, uh, back during, the, during slavery? Oh, after. I thought you said after slavery. Oh, after slavery. No, a few of them picked up a few acres of land. Like, for instance, they, gave, they picked up some land off the coast of uh, the East Coast, going all the way from about Virginia all the way down to Florida. They got land on those off-sea islands, Simon Island, St. Joseph, St. Joseph Island, uh, uh, John's Island. Uh, that's why they picked up all those islands. But guess what? But, and after within about another, I guess, 40, 50 years, whites took them back from them. They picked up all that land off the, off the coast, of, of going to all those islands off the coast, Hilton Head, all those islands. That's the black suits on all those islands out there. Geechee Gullah. Huh? It's a Geechee Gullah. Geechee Gullah. Yeah, Geechee Gullah people. That's right. They, they had they got had land, but they took it from them. And uh, so right now, so blacks don't own very much land. But the land, the prime land of the country is now owned by everybody but blacks. So what I'm saying is that <clears throat> I want that I want some of that land redistributed to black folk. The government still has about two, about uh, so many millions of acres of land. Federal on land, blacks can still get land. Or they, and, and, the, and the next thing, and the last thing, I want, the last two things. There's the Indian Treaty. I got still. I'm still in the federal courts right now. The federal courts here in Washington D.C. seeking funds for black folk on the fulfillment of the mandated 1866 Indian treaties. It, treaties are the highest law of the land. Now, in 1866, then at, at that time, Indians were still hold. Indians participated in enslaving the black folk. The Choctaw, Chickasaw, Cherokee, and Creek, and Seminole Indians, all were slave owners. And even two years after, after the Civil War was over and blacks had been free, the Choctaw and Chickasaw were still holding 12,000 to 15,000 blacks still enslaved. So black Indians and black and black freemen should have been, were, were, were mandated to receive a lot of benefits. They were mandated to receive, to receive 40 acres of land. They sold the government, then they sold the, the Indian tribes sold to giving them money government gave those Indian tribes money to give to black folk and set them free. And uh, and they didn't, they, they, they set them free, but they didn't give them any money. And then they didn't give them any land. They also, <clears throat> they, they, they right now the Indian black folks should be, have the same rights, those free black men and those free Indians have the same rights the Indians go to have. They should also build casinos right now and be able to start building casinos on free land, government land. They should be able to go out and say, hey, I want, I want these 20 acres land here. I'm going to put up casinos so Charlemagne so can go out there and gamble his money away. On the weekend. <laughs> Never. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the final point, Dr. Clark? You said you had two more. Okay, okay. So, they, so, they, so they, these Indian treaties right now are still pending in the federal courts, and all white politicians tell me, so Dr. Anderson, you're absolutely right. The reason you have, you've been in courts now for 13 years fighting, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars out of your own pockets to get it get these treaties enforced it's a law is mandated it's just that everybody's violating the law everybody every politician who swears an oath to carry out these laws are not doing it they're violating they're doing things that are illegal it should be carried out these treaties and giving black folk these money giving them the land so they can have jobs and build businesses and stuff they're not doing it and so that's why obama called 300 I mean 564 indian chiefs to the white house every christmas every december and gave him all three and a half billion dollars every year for the seven years he was in office, the first seven years. Gave wow. him three and a half Now, and so I don't need y'all to do whatever you can to put political pressure on all the politicians to go to the courts and say, we want those treaties carried out. Those are mandated laws that black folks should be treated 
black freemen and black Indians for be treated just like these white, so-called white Indians, which are really, in fact, are called white, $5 Indians, because most of them are not really Indians. Those are whites who are passing for Indians and getting all these benefits. And, and, and so that needs to be enforced. The last thing on that I want you to be able to do besides that is the freemen banks. I want, I want you to demand that a commission be set up in the Congress. A commission be set up, they be appointed, that, and have, where they hold hearings to go out and find out uh, who was responsible and get reimbursements for what happened to the black, to, to the black, blacks who were freed during slavery when they set up in 1966. Those was called Freedmen Banks. They had a Freedmen Bureau. They set up Freedmen Banks across the United States where slaves could put their deposit their money into those banks and also black Union soldiers could deposit all their salaries and their income for being in the army into those banks and those freedmen banks in, in all these major cities. Guess what? That money was stolen by the, by, by, by whites administrators who were appointed by the federal government to administer that money for those blacks. They stole $57 million out of those banks. Now, right now, I want that money recaptured at present-day value and repaid to blacks across the country. And so, I, so I'm giving you about seven things. I'm going to quit there. I want you all to help me push the power numbers, books and stuff, all this stuff in my books saying, I want you all to go out there and start fighting. Stand up and say, before this goes down, before we, we're going to vote, we're going to turn out in mass, but, you, but we're going to start holding people accountable. We want resources. We want money because it's money and value and wealth that determines your opportunities, not civil rights, not social integration. What you own and control will determine your opportunities. Since we only have one half of 1%, we don't have any power. We can't get anything, can't do anything. And I resent that. And I resent it because, because these, these elected officials know better. They're not carrying out any of these treaties and doing anything for black folk. And then I give it black folks the benefits that they're entitled to. You know, Dr. Claude, um, I agree with you. Um, I am, I, I'm definitely voting on November 3rd. And I'm also going to hold, you know, Biden and Harris accountable if they get in. I'm going to hold them, hold them really accountable, put my foot up their ass, really. But <laughs> regardless of who wins the presidency, right? That's right. How can black people best prepare for the next four years, regardless of who wins? What, what we're going to do now, we're going to start rebuilding our own communities. And we're going to start practicing quid pro quo with each other. We're going to start developing a broad sense of community where we respect and appreciate each other. And in these communities, we're going to build our own businesses. We're going to practice group economics and group politics, which means we vote for ourselves and buy for ourselves. We gotta quit trying to get along with other people and kiss them and make and try to prove show we are acceptable. Saying if y'all just get to know us and change your heart, y'all will love us. I don't care about that. I'm, my thing is this: quit trying to go out and stand out and march and demonstrate to make people let you into their restaurants. So they, to, to, so to give them the, the the pleasure of either spending their food or taking your money by anybody by hitting you in the head with a rock or brick, saying bring your money here. And black folk tell me, so with Dr. Anderson. Uh, well, I'm, I'm gonna make them take my money. I said, no, why you wanna make somebody take your money? You just tell them, no, go, what should we do? Go across the street and build your own damn business and quit kissing people's butts trying to make them like and love you. They don't kick, right now, they're, they're the same position they were years ago. Back in, when slavery ended, 98 surveys showed that 98% of all the white folk in America were totally opposed to freeing the slaves. Now, 150 years later, guess what? Whites now that dislike black folk and, and, and opposed to integration, they're down to 88%. That means they only dropped 10% in 150 years. Whites still don't like you, appreciate you. They'll get along with you. I got most of my friends are whites. I got a lot of them. I even got some relatives that are white. That's not the issue. I'm not going to try to make them love me or care for me. I think that some of these marches are effective, though, just even trying to get justice for people who are killed by police brutality and changing some of those laws and police reform, because I have seen the results. 
from them being there and occupying certain cities. Right. See, and you're right. See, the, the way you, way you get control of it, not by begging them to do it. What you do is, I told you, what the, as Charlemagne on that five story building. See, when you when you got the money and you got an economy at the base, you use your money and the economy on the on the first floor to control the politicians who are on the second floor. Mm-hmm. You either buy all the politicians, if you can't afford to buy them, you rent them. And you use them to make them do take care of the third floor. The third floor is the police department. You see what I'm saying? And the law and the legal system. You use the money off the first floor and you make the politicians do what they just need to do to control the third floor. That's the way you control the police. You can't you can't you can't control the police with just just by going and looking for kindness in their heart. Because why? Because that goes back to the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment says that that militia, white militia, police, plantation police, were were black folk. They used to call them paddy rollers. That's why. That's why in a, in a black neighborhood you have a predominant number of police officers be white. But you can't go to a white community and find that that, that white that black policemen are make up make up police enforcement in a white community. Black folk need to wake up and smell the carpets and all. They ain't going for that. You can't come into our community and try to cold control our community and shoot and kill our people. And we're gonna pay you and give you a badge and a gun to do it in a club. We ain't gonna go for that. Mm. Build your own community and say, no, you can't come in here. That's why the Chinese would not let white policemen into Chinatowns all the way up until about the 1900s. They said, we don't need them. We got two other groups that are handling that. One called the Hatchaman, the other called the Tongs. You get you mess over black folk, you better break out to run it. And that's what we're gonna say in the black community. We're gonna build our own community and say, you mess over black women, rape black women, do these kind of mean things, we're gonna get you. We ain't working for the Klan to get you. We're gonna get to you before the Klan. That's right. His name is Dr. Claude Anderson. Uh, you can go get Powernomics. You can go get Black Label, White Wealth. You can go get Dirty Little Secrets, Part 1 and 2. Go buy all Dr. Claude's books, man. He's one of my favorite people to, to have conversations with, to, to talk to. And, and, I, and, I, and I love you, and I value you, and I appreciate you, Dr. Claude. I'm glad you exist, my brother. Well, well, well I tell, you, I tell you, you know how I feel about you. I mean, I tell anybody in a second, somebody's asked me about Charlemagne. I said, I said that's my man. I said, I'm not gay, and that's my man. <laughs> <laughs>